Okay, we are live. Hey, fans and subscribers, this is your host, Joe, from the Gaming for Insight channel, with you to host episode three of the Handheld United podcast. The main topics we are covering tonight extend to continuing details from this year's Consumers Electronics Show, or CES, and the MIG Switch, I think I have that pronounced correctly, device, and those are our primary topics, but we do have some others on the list that we plan to cover. Joining us tonight for this podcast are two returning channels of Handhelds United. You are familiar with them, Gamers Generation and CPPC Tech. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Howdy, how's it going? And for those that are watching from home tonight, feel welcome to share your comments with us in the chat, and we will speak to them before we transition to the next topic. But as I'm understanding Gamers Generation, we do have some trivia tonight planned for those that are tuning in with us. So we will get to that during the show, so do not go away. I'll transition to the first topic at hand. During our last podcast, we were talking about the Consumer Electronics Show. There was so much to cover. We focused on the claw. But we wanted to return to it for those that are tuning in tonight. And Gamers Generation, I would like to switch to you because I understand that you have some other devices, perhaps extending to the Rabbit R1 AI Assistant and the Apple Vision Pro and the pre-order for that. But let me turn to you to get your additional comments on CES for this year. Ayo. That's right, Joe. Um, thank you for that. We are doing a bit of a postmortem on CES tonight since, um, you know, the tech world is a slightly slowed down since we've been overdosing on that a little bit. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Rabbit R1, which you mentioned, which is a pocket companion with all the buzzwords and all the keywords you could have guessed that are AI related. So being that they are AI related, I figured uh, that's my job, right? Uh, this thing here, the Rabbit R1, is being advertised as a $200 companion of sorts. It's a little smaller than your average smartphone, and the big buzzword they're using these days for this device is LAM, or Large Action Model, and that's different from what you might see with all these ChatGPT-type uh, clones or text-based inputs, and those are LLMs. So this is an LAM, which is Large Action Model, and the way that they're advertising it is basically this device whereby you can carry out a series of actions on an app. The demo that they used was actually Airbnb, like booking a trip using Airbnb. You would train this device doing it once yourself. Uh, I believe you have to actually talk to it too. And then afterwards, it would presumably be able to carry out the same actions for you once it's been trained. So what's particularly got everyone a buzz about this thing is it's an advanced kind of AI that you don't have to just type responses to. You can actually interact with, you know, sort of hands-free. And they're also advertising it in a way whereby it almost kind of replaces your phone. So in the sense that you could use it to, say, call an Uber and stuff like that. And I wanted to pose a question to you gentlemen um, because it is a kind of thought-provoking process with this device. It made me think that we have these smartphones now, which are so capable of doing all these different things on them, but isn't it kind of ironic how its primary or original functions of being a phone nobody actually uses anymore? What do you guys think about that? 
I think it's kind of interesting. This device is something that I liked the way it looked. It was kind of like aesthetically appealing. So I started diving in. I was like, oh, so there's no phone, but it's everything AI. And I, and then I had the same question is why can't I just use my phone for that? I myself think it's a little gimmicky. I, I really think that they're showing off a really cool piece of tech. I think the AI portion is it's cool. There's a few things I don't like. Like I'm a very picky person, so ordering an Airbnb just off my voice wouldn't do it for me. I would have to look at it in detail and look at the person's ratings. I, I dive deep if I'm going to stay somewhere, so that wouldn't work for me at all. But ordering a pizza or something might work. But, you know, something like that I could see it being useful for. You being able to train it, that's nice, but I don't know. I I kind of like having my phone. I don't want to carry an extra device in my pocket. It just seems like an extra thing to lug around and something I could lose, another thing to charge. I just don't see it being something that's going to stick around for very long unless they start adding SIM card slots or the ability to you know, replace your entire phone with it. If they could replace the entire phone with it, totally down for it but i do unfortunately need my phone to make phone calls to you know all the things i need to do phone calls for gamers generation i think you bring up a good point too or at least a notion as to what extent is this going to be a replacement for the phone is it meant to accompany the phone or is it meant to take over the function of the phone and the other assisting technologies that we are accustomed to so recommending when i'm near a starbucks if i want to pick up my large nitro with extra sweet cream so it's interesting and also the opportunity for it to connect to a cellular network with eSIM, if that technology might be integrated at a later time is it enough for it to accompany what our smartphones whether it's android or apple can already do what does it bring to the table as far as doing more than what these devices can do to me it strikes me more as a competitor than it does a companion to an android or apple phone so it is interesting you both bring those things up um, there is a lot of chatter about what exactly this thing does and what it's capable of. But one scenario I believe the CEO sort of addressed was the number of different apps that are available, right? Like we talked about an Uber, for example, but there's also Lyft and, you know, like all these other competing, uh, competing uh, services. So presumably, once you've trained this thing, it would be able to follow your parameters or your criteria to then search um, for those same type of uh, you know, like the same type of journey, the same type of criteria. So like CPPC was talking about wanting to know the ratings and all that kind of stuff. Like it has a screen on it. So again, presumably once you've trained it with the proper criteria, it would then only look for, you know, like hosts with four plus ratings has to be within this price range or whatever. And then it would do that for you. Hmm. Now, if it can actually do that and it has, you know, an active SIM and all that, then it would look more like a phone replacement. And some might even argue look more like even a personal assistant, something that, you know, the overwhelming majority of people can't afford to have, right? And so as great as like things like, uh, you know, Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant are, you still have to talk to those things with very specific inputs, right? You can't talk to them the same way you would a, a human being. And so like, 
how they've advertised this device is that you would talk to it because it uh, it understands um, you know natural language. You would talk to it as a person. So like if you're running late, you would say, hey, um, you would say, hey, text my friends and tell them I'll be late. Uh, and then you say, oh, uh, I'll be five minutes late. So rather than just texting you, texting your, your friends this message that says I'll be late, it'll take that, it'll wait for your entire input and then say, text all your friends and say, you know, I'll, I'm running about five minutes late, that type of deal. And it would know the app to use to text your friends. Like it'll text them on Discord or something like that. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Presumably. Yeah. And if it can do that, then it does actually serve a specific function, right? Or numerous specific functions, I would say. That could I, be really useful. Yeah. I do but see of course, that. Oh, I, ahead, I, I do see that as a great feature. The machine learning that Apple does provide, it can suggest, it makes Siri-based suggestions. I do see that, at least with my phone, out of full disclosure. I'm not trying to take a bias by any means for or against the product. I just, based on my experience with my phone, I do see suggestions where, oh, are you running late? For example, I see that you may want to take this different route, for example. So I can see that it can work. I see the potential for it to work along with the phone. However, I do think if I were working for Apple or Android, I still would see it to have competitive features compared to what I'm trying to do with my device. But I do want to touch on something and dive into it a bit more if I can, the training aspect. So it's my general understanding with the machine learning, say, with the Apple phone, the studying of the patterns. So if you go by a Starbucks, let's just use something real general and basic. If you go by a Starbucks every morning on your commute, you might see a suggestion, oh, would you like to order a coffee at this specific time? Are we going to be seeing where there's going to be a challenge to the relationship between the two devices because of one being more intuitive than the other? Is it easier to just have the machine learning on the Apple device? Again, taking no bias here, but for you to just do what you usually do on the device and then have something study it. Or do you need to sit down? And I don't know what the training specifics are with this Rabbit device, but I'm just interested in the distinctions and similarities, even if there are any, to this machine learning concept that we have with devices like the Apple and then the training that would be involved with this. So, um, yeah, the, as far as I know, there, there isn't a whole lot of information as of yet, and there lots of people have lots of questions and you've posed some great ones too we still don't know exactly like how capable this thing is and there's still a lot of like hurdles it would have to jump through uh the natural language processing alone is is a big one right um because generally uh in typical conversation at least spoken conversation people don't often have a really nice clean and steady flow of thoughts it's kind of jumbled up and broken down in different ways and so it would fall on this device to sort of understand that whereas you're using siri or something like that and if you spoke to it the same way it would just say like i didn't understand your input or something like that so it does beg the question like what this thing is going to do and like you said what kind of real competitor it is at the same time i think what cppc said is also a very valid point like if this thing is completely attached to your phone and relies on those apps 
to sort of like stream that data remotely to it. I'm not really sure that that has the same, um, it has the same uh, interest level for people because yeah, it's carrying around another device, right? And um, I was talking to uh, Pock Pock, who's in the who's in the chat. Um, we were actually talking about how a whole generation of individuals might be growing up and using smartphones in an entire di entirely different way, or maybe they won't even use smartphones in the future. He was telling me that a lot of kids nowadays are growing up and they're only using smart watches. So smart watches, obviously with, uh, you know, SIM cards attached to them. So they use that to make their phone calls, emergency calls and whatnot to, you know, their parents, they don't even use the smartphone for, you know, whatever other billion things you can do with them. So maybe there is a place for a device like this. We just don't know exactly where it fits in. I think especially um, if it's a wearable technology, that would even be more keen for the newer generation since they are growing up with the wearable technology, whereas we, for the other generations, it has to be learned or it ha the concept has to be acquired at least. But CPPC tech, let me turn to you. I didn't mean to cut um, you off there. Yeah. Two quick points. Uh, when you said wearable, that actually brought up another thought. If they were to make this into a wearable, that would make it way more enticing for me to want it. Um, just because I don't want anything extra in my pockets, but I always uh, am down to try wearable tech. But the other question is, do you guys think that someone like Samsung or you know, any of the other phone companies out there would acquire this technology and try to maybe buy the company out at some point or at least license their tech or their learning model and incorporate that into their phone. So it could be like the Galaxy S29 featuring the Rabbit AI or whatever it is they want to call it. Do you think that's a possibility with this? Because I, I kind of see it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, with how much buzz it's getting online and, well, allegedly how much how many people have already backed the project i mean i don't see that as you know uh, uh impossible i mean we've seen like massive mergers happen already uh so yeah why not like if i mean you know 10 years ago if somebody said to you you know uh disney is gonna buy out fox you'd be like yeah i don't think that's gonna happen but like you know lo and behold here we are right yeah. so yeah I, I i wouldn't i would say if it does get big enough it is a possibility for sure and well, we see we see other apps too where the integrated assistant technology i won't call it ai but at least the integrated assistant technology like i was just showing my mom the other night how to use the amazon music and how she can use the alexa integration to find a song that she wants to listen to you're using an apple phone well she is using an apple phone but she can use alexa to help find her music so to be able to have on your Apple phone or Android phone, the Rabbit AI, and use it as an app intuitively instead of having a separate device, I, I think that's very much possible. And this might be a stretch as far as to create a comparison, but it may draw some relevance here, so bear with me a bit. But there has been the concept, at least in the diabetic technology, I'm a type 1 diabetic, have been since age of three, the concept of can the phone function as the insulin pump? Do yeah. you have to have the insulin pump separate from the phone? And it's a yes and no, depending on what area you are focusing. But let me get to my point here so we don't get too tangential. But we're seeing now, at least with one company, the company that whose pump I wear, the operation function of the insulin pump 
can be done well pending more processing i mean the fda clearance at least has been done to be able to use the operation side using a smartphone whereas the mechanics the actual cartridge of the insulin has to be separate hardware so the relationship i'm trying to show here is that the software side could be done with the phone and it doesn't have to be actually separate but then it brings the question into it the rabbit this rabbit device hardware wise what advantages does it have over it just being a function of an app installed on a phone through an app store why does it need to be separate hardware to use to accompany the phone yeah it's pretty interesting i think that there's going to be a lot of um, innovations with this tech and i really think that the medical you know industry is going to probably jump on this especially if you could train it to say you know for example your insulin's getting low and it needs to utilize you know the device that you have implanted on you to say hey well his insulin's low let's go ahead and bump it up for him so instead of you constantly having to check it it can kind of like auto do its thing well um, the technology sure. it, that does exist it's called with a company called tandem you have control iq and basal iq technology which mm. can make actionable decisions on the data that's received from continuous glucose monitor blood glucose readings i won't get into the technical aspect but yeah. to your point if i were able to have a conversation with my insulin pump or a app that let's say was on this device or another device to say hey i'm i think i'm going to be trending low here in about 30 minutes because of this decision i made what do you think about it where i can actually ask a question now that mm. would be that is a time that i never thought i would be able to live in but what about we will what see about if, we will see what about if what about if you knew you were trending low and you could have it maybe uh order you some food <laughs> automatically so when it sees your blood sugars trending low it can be like going ahead and door dashing you yeah, some food to help boost you up make a it would make a recommendation for me to order some glucose gel from amazon and and have that come in yeah that would be great but contact emergency services for example yeah that yeah. would be very great because that that can happen you're trending down rapidly and let, let's say your cgm your readings show low and emergency services are contacted a device that is intuitive enough to do that instead yeah, that of it be being provided as a service because there are services there's at least one service that i know that will actually give you a phone call depending on what your blood glucose readings is that is if you Ooh. share within settings on the device whether you want that company to know about your blood glucose readings but having this to to bring it back just in case so we don't become tangential but to having this device here that we're talking about this rabbit device used for as a as a for the medical side or being more than just keeping my calendar together i mean there's great potential but then it also shows the question to what extent does it have to be a separate device with its own hardware can it not just function as an application on yeah. a phone that you install true so the more the more um, that I look up about this device, uh, I could be completely wrong, and someone who is listening is more than welcome to correct me. But my understanding of the way that this large action model works is that you would teach the rabbit how to do something based on your narration, which it uses to capture and tie 
to your input. So if you're if you're using um, like it obviously has no physical presence, so it can't do something physically for you. But let's say you wanted to have it read out the information from um, a health app that you're using. You would um, set it to teach mode. Then you would say, "I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna check my um, uh, blood sugar level, and I'm uh, I'm gonna make it remind, and I'm gonna set the app so that it reminds me to." and tells me what my blood sugar level is in two hours. So what you would do is you would set it to teach mode, you would open up that app, and then you would input those settings in the app itself while you're narrating your instructions. And then you would do that that one time. And presumably the rabbit now understands that the next time you say, hey, tell me what my blood sugar level is, or remind me what my blood sugar level is, it would access the app itself and then be able to to check or input in those commands itself. Why it needs to be a separate app, um, I don't know. It's probably because they want to sell some hardware, but more and more it makes it does make it seem like it is tethered to some other device. I'm not sure that it has the kind of processing power to do it by itself, but it seems like you know any kind of input that you could tie to you know um, a physical interaction with a device or an application it should be capable of doing. So, you know, typing in a text field, uh, pressing some radio buttons, uh, interacting with a with drop uh, down menu, those type of things it should be able to do. So like this, this uh, since it's worth your phone, I would assume it's either Android or iOS, iOS based devices. But imagine if you had something like this for Windows, right? Like everybody, um, I assume everybody who's used some kind of um, game uh, monitoring overlay knows and hates Afterburner and RTSS as much as I do. So imagine like you trained Rabbit to set the parameters for you and check, uh, you know, to make sure uh, uh, frame rate and uh, battery life and all that populate. You do it the one time, and then the next time you just tell Rabbit on a new device, you tell Rabbit, uh, set up RTSS for me. Like I met, this is what I'm imagining that it should be able to do with its training model. Gentlemen, it makes me think that this is analogous or almost identical to programming a macro and setting a command with this device. Correct me if you well, similar, let me but know. okay, yeah, similar, but with a macro, you have to you have to um, set all those inputs yourself, right? Like you have to tie each one of those actions to some other action itself. This would be doing it the one time and then being able to then just essentially activate it through a voice command rather yeah. than, you know, some kind of key input. Hitting a button, um, like using Armory Crate on your Asus RG right, ally. Right. Okay, that's, that's, yeah, I yeah. understand. That would be presumably a scenario I think that it should be able to do. Um, but I don't want to dwell too much on this device. I did want to talk about the yes. other um, device. Um, did you gentlemen have any other closing thoughts on the Rabbit R1? Nope, no. $200 is what their asking price is. These days, $200 we know doesn't buy you a whole lot of stuff, especially not when we're talking about this next device, which is the Apple Vision Pro. The Apple Vision Pro is $3,500, uh, and it goes up to a mouthwatering $3,900 if you decide that the paltry 256 gigabytes of storage is not enough, and you want the one terabyte. So yes, listeners, you've heard me correctly. For another 750 gigabytes, they're charging you another $400. Um, don't get me started on the Apple Care for anyone who's familiar with Apple Care and you have an iOS device or you have a MacBook. Um, 
the Apple Care is going to set you back a, a pretty $500. Um, but you may be just priced into that because if you do end up scratching out, scratching that glass on the outside there, the one that shows, uh, you know, the fancy face or whatever, that is a, allegedly $700 to fix or replace. Wow. Um, so if you thought that we were living in a dystopian future before, uh, you might actually be very much correct about that. Um, and, and one of the really sore points I wanted, um, to bring to everyone's attention, which I noticed, um, kind of very recently, actually only after the pre-orders went live on Friday. And that was that you can't help but notice there seems to be something kind of cropped out or not really focused on in a lot of their marketing material. And um, the shot that Joe has up there, you can see there's a cable that's running from um, the back of the, the device. And that's because there's actually a separate battery pack that they're, they're kind of just low-key not really mentioning. So even though the device itself, the headset itself, is about, um, if I'm not mistaken, like 600-ish or so grams, um, slightly, slight, only very slightly heavier than a Quest 3, um, that's the device without the battery meaning that the battery pack you have to put somewhere else and apparently people are already selling and buying uh like these uh battery pack holsters or whatever yeah. um this battery pack if you want uh they're saying uh, apple is saying that it will last about two uh to two and a half hours depending on what you're doing with the device and if you want another battery pack um apple is going to charge you a cool rabbit device that is an, a cool 200 dollars for another rat for another battery pack. So wow. we are talking like extreme luxury, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are, what are your gentlemen's thoughts on this? I, I know you're not really as deep in, uh, you know, I... this kind of glasses stuff as I am, but I'd so, love to hear your thoughts. So I've had my eye initially on, on this. And, and, and when I heard the pricing, you know, it just kept going up. Every time you'd hear a price quote, it would be, you know, a little higher the next time. I'm like, nah, this is this is ludicrous. No one's gonna buy this. The only people who are gonna buy this are gonna be using it for business, and they've got tons of money to spend on it. They could use it as a write-off. There's no way people are gonna be gaming on this at home. You could buy an entire gaming PC decked out to the nines for this amount of money. Absolutely, it's almost offensive at the price. I laugh at it. I'll never buy it. You you couldn't nah. Even if it was fifteen hundred bucks, well, I'd say if it was fifteen hundred bucks, yeah, I would probably because I had a Valve Index and that was pretty nice. So it's not a stretch uh, to go from a thousand to fifteen hundred, but nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> it's stupid at that price. And to follow up on CPPC Tech, I do I do not think it is intended as a gaming device. I do not think it is intended for gamers. I do think that there is a purpose for it. It could be for developers as well. It could be for virtual meetings and to bring bring people closer together, virtually speaking. I do think for some enthusiasts, if you want to sit down and watch a movie off of an, an application, want an a movie from Apple Movie App, for example, and have it show like in this screenshot here. I, I So I think for developers and I think for enthusiasts, those are the two areas that come to mind for this. But I do think it's meant to be versatile, and I do think that it's 
not meant to be something that is completely comparable to other headsets like the MetaQuest 3. It's supposed to sit out as something different on its own. And I understand with the spatial reality that 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 term that Apple is using, that's an effort to differentiate this from the other headsets as well. This is something that I will not be picking up and purchasing, but again, I I do think it's a high price point, but it's a, it's a high product in the sense of it being a high end product that one can have high expectations for. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking they've put a little something in their pipe and, uh, they've smoked it because the, the whole thing, you can do virtual meetings with a quest three. They have amazing pass through. You can do all of the things you mentioned at a fraction of the price. I think, you know, they probably are going to be targeting businesses and high end, you know, enterprises, but I just don't think that these are going to sell anywhere near the amount that they think they will sell. The economy is starting to soften. You're starting to see people cut back on a lot of devices. I just don't see it. I think this is one of the silliest things Apple has ever done at that price. If they were able to bring the price down, yeah, probably be a little bit less salty about it. But at that price... I just don't see anyone. And I know a lot of people who do virtual meetings all day. They work primarily online. This could be useful for them. But even at a larger company, uh, some of these like insurance companies, if they're doing virtual training and stuff, they will never dish out this amount of money for those. Absolutely not. Not even a billion dollar company is going to be buying up a bunch of these for their employees. It's just not going to happen. And I, I think in relevance to that, too, it depends on what applications are available because initially, and I don't want to consider myself a subject matter expert by any means on this headset, but it may release and it may be something along the conversation of ahead of its time, and we need to wait for certain applications to be developed to take Mm. full advantage of what it has to offer but we will we will have to see on this yeah. one. So uh, it's funny it's funny that you mentioned that, Joe, um, because on the application side, there there are a number of headlines that are already out there suggest um, uh, claiming that the likes of YouTube and Spotify and Netflix have uh, they're saying that they're not making applications specific for the Vision Pro, meaning that a user of the Vision Pro would have to just access those uh, those services through the browser like through Safari in Vision Pro, which obviously obviously is not a good look. But I think uh, I do ex- uh, I do agree with you to the extent that maybe there is something that we're not seeing here in terms of the the utility. And that's where I would bring to, I, I hate to use their, their marketing buzzwords, but um, something that uh, current iPhone 15 users, I believe you can do it on iPhone 14 as well, but they they are able to record videos in what they call spatial video format. And that means that it's basically like a VR video. It's recording using two lenses. So a stereoscopic image will be recorded. And then you should be able to play it back in this device. So you'll theoretically be watching, you know, a real 3D movie, but it's like a real 3D home movie. And for a person who, um, you know, values their time with their family and their friends and stuff like that, I could see a real push towards that you know in the same way that people are like you know capturing all these little shorts and and posting them online uh on their social media feeds the problem with that is it goes back to what uh cppc said 
with, you know, the likes of, say, the Quest 3. And I'm not saying this just because I'm a Quest 3 owner, but, like, it can be had for a fraction. And I mean, like, a literal fraction. You could have seven Quest 3s, meaning one for your whole family member, and it would just <laughs> barely be the same price as one of these Vision Pros. That's the part that's tough to stomach. But I want to throw back to you guys this little hot take. I um, came across some other creator who suggested something along the lines of Apple presenting this device as their sort of iPhone or their iPad moment. So maybe it's not, you know, fully polished, but they fully expect that, you know, like two, three generations from now, like everybody has them type of deal. Mm. What, What do you guys think of that? It's possible. I just think that if they were going to be trying to make it a consumer device like that iPad, iPhone, it would it would really need to be priced down a lot more. I don't I really want to know what you guys in the chat think about it. if anybody's watching. Yeah, I'd like Bob to turn he might buy some th- he might buy three of them. Uh, but I, I just I, I want to know what people think about this who are into VR headsets who who have been maybe watching it. Maybe they haven't seen it. What do you guys think if you want to buy one drop below if you're watching this now or later? I really am genuinely curious to know what people really think about it if they have the money to just toss out $3,500 to buy it. Yeah, let's turn to the chat. Gamers Generation, what are we seeing from our fans at home about the Apple Paco Vision is, and the Rabbit as well? We can touch on yes, some of that Paco, too. Yes, Paco does not like AI assistance, and um, that personally offends me, of course. Um, but he also... He also loves the Vision Pro, and he also loves um, Ioneo and Pimax. Uh, of course, I'm completely memeing here. He hates all of these companies. He's told me as much. Uh, so if you are a representative from this comp- from one of those companies, uh, let the record show that it's only Paco that dislikes you. We didn't say anything, uh, especially if you're not, especially if you're going to donate the the channel a bunch of Vision Pros. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of shared sentiment. Um, in the terms of love for these devices. Um, I think they're just too um, marketing heavy. They're, they're really um, giving us hard sells, I would say. It seems to be the sentiment from some of the Reddit comments that I've read uh, prior to uh, going uh-huh. live tonight. I don't know. When it comes to hard sells, <laughs> uh, drug commercials for, for medications, now they do some hard selling. I don't know if it's to that extent. But yeah, uh, yeah, feel free to disagree. I'm telling you what, they create their own story. I mean, even the photographs have a story in the commercial. I I mean, but they are the apex when it comes to that. But they always tell you at the end, this may cause fatal diarrhea. They always tell you that at the end, or you might bleed to death or something. They always tell you the downsides. They're not telling us the downsides here, so they're just giving us pros but no cons. At least these medication commercials, at least here in America, at the end, it's like, you know, oh, you can feel better with Vivana and this, this, and this, but... You may also die from fatal diarrhea. You may also die of a heart attack. Your blood pressure may raise to 300, whatever. And they always tell you that, and then it scares you out of it. So you're like, oh, you know. And that's, well, a, that's a good I point, say, too. Joe, he, 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 might, he might be right. I mean, all Apple is saying is that for two or two and a half hours, we'll be having living our li- our best lives until we've got to plug it in. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And, and looking at this picture, too, to what extent will the person get a headache after wearing it for so long, eye strain, and that posture 
I, I'm telling you what, if I had That's that posture, <laughs> if I had that posture sitting down, if I want that type of posture yeah. when sitting down. I need my Secret Labs Cyberpunk chair to get that quality posture. I mean, that is amazing. We need to give her an you award know, for that posture. You know what? Is she Joe? even real? I see. That's, that's what a I good. Was yep, say. Yeah, we. Could. That's what I was going to say, Joe. I think they got you. Take it from an expert. That's AI generated, my friend. I think I so. <laughs> Look at the room. It's too clean. Yeah, they fool me every time. They fool me every see, time. See, they're not showing. They're not showing her hands for a reason because there's six fingers there. Ah. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing to let me know that this is even real. The wall looks funny. The windows look funny. Uh, and like you said, her posture, when you said that, it made me start looking around the rest of the image because I was like, that's not natural. That's not natural. Yeah, that, that's a, yeah, that's grade A posture right there. I commend that. Commend the for, entity, whatever. Yeah. So like Before for two and a half hours, that's going to be, that's going to be a hard sell too. I know people like you, Green, you know, you could probably maybe, I guess, plug in their, their little battery uh, banks to the Apple charger and maybe kind of like charge it like you can the quest. I'm, I'm hoping that's the case because that would give you maybe a little extension there for a little less money. But oh, how, man. How, how many, how do you switch it? Do you, do you just unplug it and it powers it down the whole headset or does it have like a little juice in the headset so you can swap them real quick? It's like if you're in the much, middle of a game, how much you do. do you think Apple is going to charge for, um, you know, people that i don't know fry their headsets or whatever because they used a non you know non apple approved battery or whatever like i mean that would be, be wondering I, i'm wondering if there are safeguards in place to prevent that i don't know but more than likely yeah. there's there's thermal guards in there to prevent it from overheating and stuff so i wouldn't worry that much about it but i would worry about the fact that if you have to switch your battery pack and you're in the middle of a meeting let's say your meeting is two and a half hours long and you didn't have a full charge when you started, you got 30 minutes left, what do you do? Can you hot swap the battery packs, or do you have to power the whole thing down? Well, yeah. allegedly, you can plug it in directly, like, to the wall. Ah, uh, um, okay. You know, but, yeah, uh, who would have thought, you know, um, and Paco will love this, who would have thought that more than five years later, after Valve Index, we're still tethered, this time with a $3,500 plus dollar device? That's pretty wild. Well, good conversation and good details there for Apple Vision, the Rabbit, and CES. I think we can transition now to the second topic at hand, which is the, is it MIG or MIG? MIG. MIG. Okay, it's, I just want to make sure, because I'm yeah. I'm the one that will actually overthink how to pronounce something. It's, it's named after the Russian plane, the ah, MIG, I guess. Okay, okay. So the MIG switch is defined as the only backup and development device for all Nintendo Switch consoles, regardless of version, firmware, and type. The device does not require any separate installation to use, nor any modification of the Nintendo Switch console itself, and, and that is nice, taking no bias here intentionally, and is simply just a plug-and-play device. The device itself extends to two parts, the card and the dumper. And I'm yes. going to see if I can get a picture of that here. But let me turn it to you, gentlemen, on what you think of this device, and is it for those that own a Nintendo I, Switch? I'd love to talk about it. Uh, first, if you don't mind, I I love the fact that this device exists. 
but I definitely want to tell people if they are going to use it, I do not condone piracy. I do not condone breaking any type of TOS, but if you have this device for your own personal backups, you know, more power to you, I will not be purchasing one, but I will say they do work. I have seen them from a trusted friend of mine, I will say, in outer space. So that that device does work. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's not snake oil. There was a lot of, you know, people kind of upset because they pre-ordered theirs and they didn't get the, um, the dumper with it, which is, you know, a big deal if you're trying to use this on a Switch without a custom firmware and you want a way to back up your your uh your games you you need the dumper it's a separate device but you plug it in a usb port plug in your game and you basically download that game to uh basically an xci file which is similar to an iso file or a zip file it's just a you know a, a way to put all the game into one file and you run them off the memory card that goes in the little mig switch adapter now, there is a caveat to that from what I've seen. There's no loading menu. It doesn't pop up with a list of games. You have to eject it each time to switch to a different game. It's kind of weird how it works. If you watch some videos, uh, there are numerous people on YouTube who've done reviews of them. Everyone likes it so far that I have seen. Is it worth the money? Yes, but the only other caveat to it is I would not use this on a Switch that gets on the internet. Two reasons. One, if they see that you're using a game that has been backed up, and especially if you maybe sailed the seas to get it, um, instant ban. Immediately instant ban. I would not um, use this on a device that has to connect to the internet, just simply put. I probably would say it would be fine for your own games, but there's still a lot of people speculating that it's going to be a big ban wave um, once they figure out how to spot these that have been inserted in, into their devices because there is going to be a way. It's going to register in your device probably that it's not using either an authentic cart or it noticed several different games on the same cart number. They're spoofing it somehow, so Nintendo in their infinite wisdom, they have already probably started working on a way to detect it. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see it really soon. Um, their next move is probably going to make make up a firmware that's going to block this, similar to how they did with some of the older uh, 3DS, 3DS XLs when they had those flash carts. The newest firmware would just basically stop it from being recognized. So you would have to be on an older firmware, and then the newer ones would come out, and they would work on that. So I would just kind of tell people to use caution, but it's a cool device. Game preservation is huge. All these companies are going digital. They're ditching the games left and right. So I think it's I think it's really good. Yeah, I would agree with you, um, CPPC. There are tons of channels out there. Um, two in particular that I'll name for the audience is uh, Alien Retro Gaming and Taki Udon. Uh, our handheld our handheld followers will know uh, Taki Udon's name. So they've both demonstrated use of this. Uh, uh, mig switch so the way it works after you've dumped the file or you have the xci file as cppc said you load it into the cartridge slot of a nintendo switch uh, there's like a little light that goes off and then you uh, eject it and then you reinsert it and that's what happens uh, um, when um, you want to load up the additional games or uh, cartridges um, this obviously does pose some other issues though just uh, even in terms of functionality 
if, for instance, uh, you know, it might be nice to travel, uh, especially if you're going to travel to some place and you're worried about losing some expensive uh, switch carts, you could just load up, you know, a couple of them on this MIG switch thing. But, like, obviously you're also not going to carry, like, you know, 50 games or something on that because like how ludicrous would that be to like just keep ejecting and, and stuff like that just to get cycled to that game mm. you want mind you this is just a version one so presumably there they'll also come out with a version two and you know anyone who's familiar with jailbreaking and modding their consoles you know it's just a back and forth war with the with the modders and and hackers and uh, versus like the companies at that point but um you know know that if you are going to get this like banning isn't just like your concern right like there is some difficulty with uh, the utility uh not to mention that like if you are going to sail the high seas um as uh, cppc said you um may or may not be able to like right out of the box like you you probably still need to have access to someone who has like a real legit switch and stuff because there are a couple of files on there that you need as far as i know um and taki udon um shows this and mentions this in in one of his videos he talks about how like when you dump a switch when you dump a switch cart you get not just like the xci file or it may be a different format um like nsz or or nsp um if you if you dump the the game cart you should also have these other files like a certificate right um and a you an, an id file so those are the unique identifier files which theoretically wouldn't get you banned if you went online but as cppc also said like i wouldn't advise that like it's just too easy to get banned and then once you get banned it's like what are you going to do you know it's it's kind of like you you kind of knew you ran the red light like what did you think was going to happen right um one question uh, i have in and just taking a step back for a moment on this i let's let's say i'm i'm new to a nintendo switch i go out i buy it uh, buy the Nintendo Switch, excuse me. What is the advantage of picking up one of these Switches instead of just using the already cloud-based service for saving my games? Well, if you buy this device and a Switch, because you still have to have a Switch to to use this, yes. this is basically allowing you to make your games portable offline and if you buy the games directly through Nintendo, the downside to that is you can't back those games up. They're there on the Switch or the cloud permanently. And if they decide to close down the Switch game store like they've done with the Wii store, well, your games just went bye-bye. They're all in the cloud. They're all gone forever. So having a physical copy of a game allows you to back it up, allows you to keep it forever. Physical media is slowly you know, surely dying. So this is kind of like the last ditch effort for the switch users to possibly be able to keep these titles forever and to take advantage of it. Who knows what's going to happen in, you know, a couple of years with the cloud stuff. So if you're, you know, a game preservation connoisseur, this is like, you know, almost a must have for some people. Uh, I don't need it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a good thing to have, I guess. But if you're a cloud gamer, you don't really care about physical copies. You don't need this. It won't do you any good. You can't use it. It's only for those who have a Switch and physical games. There is also an interesting thing that Taki Udon um, presented, which I'd like both of your gentlemen, and of course anyone in the chat, I'd like your thoughts as well. He posed an interesting thought where by, um, you know, someone rents the games or buys the 
I mean, I don't know who even like rents games out anymore, but like, say someone buys the game from like Amazon or uh, Amazon or um, Best Buy as an example, right? Dumps mm-hmm. the game, and then uh, with all of you know its unique identifiers, and then goes online with it or whatever. You might then actually Ooh. buy a used game or what you thought was a used game, and then maybe you go online with your legit device, and then you get banned. So like previously and you know obviously if you had a modded hack switch like you could do that yeah yeah right? yeah um so like that that doesn't change that fact um per se but like this kind of opens up the uh the doors a little wider i think so it's, what do you what do you guys think of that that's gonna probably become a bigger problem now because previously you would have to use the dumper on a modded switch like an app basically to dump the yeah, game right. to your sd and it would take the keys from your switch and all that good stuff. And some of the people who were uploading them on the high seas, they would take it and put it, you know, without the keys. Some would put it with the keys. So apparently you would basically be, you know, uh, using someone else's keys. Like think of a serial key for a game. So these games have that little serial key attached. So if they start ripping these in mass, since it can be done through USB, it's probably way quicker and you already have it on your computer, so that's one less step to have to, you know, jump through if you want to upload it. But that's the thing; it's gonna, it's gonna definitely be a problem, and it could pose a potential, you know, uh, question if you're buying a game off of, for, for say, like eBay or GameStop. How do you know if that used copy has been used online, and that serial is being used out there? And if Nintendo sees that game being used on two different switches, it's going to throw up a red flag and they're likely going to just start banning people, you know, unintentionally for that. I I don't know. That's a good question. That's kind of scary to think about it because I do like buying used games. That's kind of what I do. If I want some of the newer games, I'll wait a little bit. I'll wait for someone to play it, beat it, and then put it on eBay and I'll save 10, 15 bucks. Yep. And even more, even more tinfoil hattie, he, he mentioned that like, now you might be able to like presumably someone is going to also clone this right like some guy some guy in his basement in shenzhen or something is going to clone this this mig switch but then maybe he can clone it um like at a fraction of the cost even and then he'll put in some like you know like dinky micro sd card in there and then he can clone have like what looks like a very realistic looking cartridge right and it has all the correct identifiers on there because it was ripped exactly from original switch cart right the difference is now there's like 200 of those with all of those same unique uh identifiers so so then what right uh if you're if you're buying it online or whatever on ebay or something like yeah you might just get totally screwed because you didn't think to actually open up the cart or anything Mm. you know right like what about that you know yeah that is a little spooky we've seen a lot of those fake carts floating around especially lately with older Game Boy games and stuff like that. Yep, I know some right. are collectors who've gotten completely duped. You know, they'll spend three or four hundred dollars on some of these vintage Nintendo games, and then you open it up, and it's a completely cloned cart that's worthless. Yeah, a little bit scary. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess there's not much else to say about that from my end. Uh, what about you guys? Well, I think with that we can transition to the comments. What we are seeing in the comments, Gamers Generation. Um, Paco, of course, is, uh, always, always on, um, he's always ready. He says that he's never owned Nintendo hardware and he's not interested in that product, but he is pro, he is, he is pro sailing the high seas 
so uh, he will endorse it. Uh, just remember, for anyone that is interested in doing so, you, you do so at your own risk. Um, you know, th that's all that can really be said about that. All right. Well, I think now we can turn to some trivia, Gamers Generation. Yes, of course. Um, so in a slightly new, uh, in a new segment that we have for the podcast, hopefully to get a little bit of engagement from uh, both the panel as well as the audience. And if you're listening to the live replay, we encourage you to participate as well. You know, drop your responses in the, in the comment section and, you know, just wait a little bit and see if you got the answer right. These, of course, because of um, my status of an AI, are also AI generated. So this is what's fun. Uh, since I know the answers to these, being an AI and all, I'm going to pose these questions to the panel directly. So tonight, it'll be these questions will be for you, Joe, and also for you, uh, CPPC. Uh, since we have a little bit of time, we're going to do two trivia questions. All Are right, you gentlemen, okay with that? Sure, that's okay. agreeable. So, so I'm also going to drop the questions in the chat so everyone can participate. Don't worry, these are multiple choice questions. Um, you know, so I don't want to give anyone flashbacks of like you know bad SAT tests or something like that. Okay, so question one, uh, question one here is, which pioneering handheld game featured interchangeable cartridges but only housed its screen in its controller, leaving the console itself an empty shell? A, the Fairchild Channel F, B, Microvision, C, Milton Bradley Micro Arcade, or D, Mattel Electronics Odyssey. So, and I'm going to post uh, the choices in the chat. Okay, let's give it a moment. I'm I'm already gonna admit I'm stumped on this one. Yeah, but same. I have a friend of mine who is a uh, vintage console slash handheld guru. I wish I could do the whole phone a friend thing. <laughs> he could answer it for me in like three seconds. Yeah, where is Regis maybe, Philman maybe we... when you need him? To give me I know. Maybe 50, we do 50. Need a phone a friend thing. Yeah. Let, let's do let's do the trivia again next week, and then we'll add that phone a friend. But you'll literally have to have them on standby, so we're not. Uh, we we, we could have yeah. someone on speakerphone too, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I could totally call make someone, sure I can make call that happen. Someone next random. Time. I'm gonna say it's the Fairchild. Gentlemen, I am completely lost on this one, so I will be learning tonight but when you mentioned it it reminded me of it took me back one of my favorite consoles was the sega dreamcast i hope i don't introduce any hate but i absolutely love that and Same. it made me think of the controller as well yeah i love the dreamcast as well it's my heart right there all right so we have uh paco who has said the the fairchild um and CPPC, you said the microvision? I said Fairchild as yeah, well. Yeah. Oh, you said Fairchild. Okay. And Joe? I, I will go with Fairchild, but I ha have absolutely no idea on this one. All right. Drum, all right. Drum roll, please. The answer is uh, D, Mattel Electronics Odyssey. But ah. if you were AI, you would know that because that was the answer. I of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It, was the, it was the Mattel uh, Electronics Odyssey. Who would have thought that? Um, Mattel created created a handheld, but for those listening out there, and maybe you're not old enough to have known, you know, Tiger also made those really terrible handhelds yes. too. I had a ton of those as a kid. My first handheld was a Tamagotchi. 
that's when I could interact with something. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first, first memory of that. But I was playing Frogger before that on my mom's gateway laptop. But as far as a handheld, that was the first. All right. Are you gentlemen ready for question number Let's two? Let's go to number two. Okay. Question number two. Uh, which classic handheld console boasted revolutionary touch controls years before the Nintendo DS, but sadly failed to achieve widespread success? The options are A, the Sega Nomad, B, Atari Lynx, C, NEC Turbo Express, or D, Sony Pocket Station. Make sure to take your time and ponder. I remember the, the when I was in middle school, you had everyone in the Nintendo DS fan club or the Sony PlayStation Portal when those two devices were going back, basically battling against each other for that. So nostalgic thoughts here. I'm going to say I don't know this one either. I don't, none of them are striking me as being touchscreen though. I vaguely remember Sega doing something, but I I can't fully remember it. I'm gonna go with A for me, but because I vaguely remember Sega doing something, but I I could be confusing it with something else. Mm, I guess I'm I'm probably gonna have to go with Sega on this because I know the Pocket Station wasn't touchscreen. I don't think the NAC was touchscreen. I just don't think Sony was the first. That's why I'm disappointed. Yeah. All right. And Paco, you got an answer? All right. We both have, from the panel, we have uh, A, which was the Sega Nomad. All right. And um, while everyone is pondering the rest, I forgot to mention um, that uh, the Mattel Electronics Odyssey, which was the last answer, was a device that came... It from uh, in 1972, so that's oh. probably even older than you know most of our listeners out there. So if you didn't even know what that thing was, you know that might be why. All right, so we got C from Paco, um, which was the NEC Turbo Express, and be prepared to uh, give Paco a Valve Deckard Gaben because the answer was C, the NEC oh, Turbo Express. Oh, okay, Paco. Yeah. And nice. this was this was a device that was released in 1994, and was uh, and boasted a high resolution screen. They, they didn't say what the high resolution screen is. It was a 16, uh, 16 uh, it was a 16 bit device, and um, it uh, allowed players to tap, drag, and even uh, or tap and drag even directly on the screen. Wow! Yeah, for then that was cool. Yes. It looks like a little mini portable TV, though. Didn't it come with the TV tuner? Is that the one that came with the TV tuner? TV tuner. Are you thinking of, like, in television? It had an analog. Yes, that one did. It had. It, so that was the one that had an analog TV tuner that would strap onto the side of it, and you could actually watch TV on it back back then. So that's the same one I'm thinking of, the, the NEC Turbo Express? Uh, this one I don't know. I only, you, you know, I'm, um, I'm a text-based... AI, so I, I don't know what these pictures look like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm going to post it in chat because this is the one. I just had to look it up. I I, I actually remember this one, so I'm going to post a picture so you guys can see it. This TV tuner would basically allow you to tune into local news and you know PBS stations and stuff like that, over-the-air programming, back when everything used to use the rabbit ear antennas. 
like a little rabbit ear extension that would pull up. It's like a little pole. Uh, Sony had a similar one as well. I used to have one of the Sony ones. Those were that says That says Turbo Graphics on it. Interesting. So were we talking about a different handheld? I think so, yes. Okay, so it says Turbo Express right there on the screen on the left. Maybe it's both. This is Turbo Graphics, no? Look look at the bezel of the screen. Uh, oh, yeah, no. Mm, I'm not sure. It could be, yeah. If that thing had touchscreen, that's pretty phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we can transition to our third topic tonight, which is going to be on the refresh here on certain devices and the topic around the 8840U refresh on the GPD devices. And then also the topic on whether the Ryzen 9000 is actually incoming or not. Is it coming sooner than we think? So gentlemen, let me turn it to you on your thoughts on the refresh and also the Ryzen 9000. Yeah, um, I guess I'll go first. I'll just have a quick little, you know, say on both, I guess. And then uh, Gamer's Generation, you'll probably know a little bit more than I do on this topic. But the 8840U, it's just a refresh of the 7840U. I don't think there's going to be a lot of performance increases that we're going to see across the board. It does look like some of the CPU-Z scores are just slightly higher, but I, I don't think it's going to really compute to much as far as games go. Uh, I know it was supposed to, if I'm not mistaken, this had a little bit more on the AI cores or something like Correct. that. So you could take some of that um, upscaling and, and put it onto those cores possibly. Um, if you already have, a, you know, like a Z1 Extreme RG Ally or you've got a, a handheld with the 7840U, definitely don't need to go jump out and go buy one of these when they drop. Definitely wait for reviews. It's not anything that you should be sad that you missed out on. Because I know a lot of people were asking me, oh, man, I just bought, you know, one with the 7840U. Now the 8840U is coming. Bigger number doesn't always mean better. It's just a refresh. Well, we all agreed uh, we're going out and buying the MSI Claw together, right? I thought that was the yes. general consensus. Just kidding. Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I am. Sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. Anyway, <laughs> not to be tangential, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did talk about it in a previous podcast as well. It's built on, both are built on the 780M as well the gpu component yeah and then and then the ryzen 9000 series just quickly it's 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 speculation there are some leakers who do have uh some pretty good credibility and there was a question asked if they are actually in production already and he said yes they are in production already but we also don't know if that's the raw dies the cpus themselves or what have you uh, but Zen 5 definitely does seem to be coming a little bit sooner than what we think. I still am speculating, you know, probably July to September around that, you know, range, probably more later towards August or September at the earliest. I just don't see them coming out before then. We've got uh, Computex coming up next. I'm not sure when Computex is, but I know that's the next tech event, and that's probably where they will announce it. And then the release should be shortly thereafter. And that's just total speculation. I haven't seen any benchmarks yet on any of them. Uh, we'll probably be seeing, you know, some leakers, uh, your average leakers on Twitter, like Copite 7 Kimmy and some of the other guys, they might be uh, kind of waiting on those to come in. So I'm interested to see. What about you guys? What do you think about it? Gamers Generation, you can go first if you'd like. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, I will address that part first, and then I'll go back to the uh, 8,000 series stuff. Uh, 9,000 series, um, yeah, like uh, CPPC said, you, we probably need to get a little bit more from, like, Copite 7 Kimi or, like, a mega-sized GPU or whatever. Um, the reality, though, is I'm just thinking, like, something we've sort of talked about before is how powerful these CPUs are. And, and this will be the ongoing theme for like the 8840U too. I honestly don't think the average person needs, you know, more power, more juice, or to, you know, blow out their circuit breakers, right? We, we can see how powerful and capable the, um, you know, the desktop version APUs are like in the 8700G. Um, and like, I'm just thinking like Zen 5, yeah, great and all, but like if it's more even if it's more than just you know like uh, a die shrink which it's not but like even if it was it's like who who cares you know as cppc said earlier in the podcast too you know market is softened you know a lot of people especially in the tech space who would be more inclined and more interested in this stuff are losing their jobs like left and right you know um and we're not even talking about like the reason why or anything like that it's just that people have less money um, to spend on like extravagant things, uh, especially if they're saving up for their vision pros or whatever. Right? <laughs> it's like, so like, I mean, I'm just thinking like, who, who needs this? Who is this for? You know, like, yeah, you, you, you're going to release, you know, a, a 98, uh, a 9,800X3D for $700. It's like, okay. And they're, they're giving you these, you know, bogus numbers, like 20% faster, uh, than a 7,800X3D. It's like, there's, 7800X3D is the best gaming CPU out there. It's true. And, and, you know, even after so many years now, the 5800X3D is no slouch either. Like, who needs this? Well, you know what I mean? Like, Do you think this is going to be more of a AI push? Because everything else seems to be adding AI cores, adding extra efficiency cores. Do you think they're just going to have a little bit of a refresh with some extra AI cores and maybe a little bit more power efficiency? It, I, I think that's kind of going to be more geared towards what i would you, see yeah you very well could be right from my understanding of the desktop space they're they're leaving most of their ai workloads to the dedicated hardware being you know um desktop graphics cards mm -hmm. um and there's obviously rumors there too in that direction that you know they're not pushing harder for like a higher tier of graphics because both um both nvidia and amd want to get that big ai money so yeah. you know they're they're leaving uh their larger dies to like uh what is it it's the mi 300 H right and the yeah. h100 H yeah, so 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 h100 from nvidia and the i believe it's the instinct at the mi 300 i think from from uh uh amd side but like it makes more sense like yes. you think why why are they not you know why don't they give us an 8900 xtx that you know beats the living hell out of like a 4090 the thing is is they don't need to and with the same amount of sand literal sand they can make you know five figures more and that's why they're going to do it because they're business right um going back to like the desktop cpu stuff and i'm just thinking like this is just uh like it's more of a marketing ploy than anything right like they're just trying to show like generation over generation we're giving you this much more performance and stuff and then they're going to focus more on the mobile apu side 
with their NPUs, the, the neural processing uh, units or, or the AI or the AI so that they just say, yeah, you know, all these things are capable of doing these, these AI things for you now. Um, and that was, that seemed to be the ongoing theme. I know none of us were there at CES, but all the articles are saying how much of everything was just a big AI buzz. Right. And so like, that seems to be the, the direction. So like, unfortunately, I think like if someone was looking for a really good deal on like a CPU that they're probably already out there now, or if you were really hard up for one, just wait until the 9,000 series comes out and then just buy one of these 7,000 series ones. Cause yeah, definitely the price is going to go down and you're not really going to be missing out on much. Save that money that, or take that money that you save from it, put it into a better graphics card or more storage or something like that. Because the CPU is probably not where you're lacking power. Yeah. Right? You know, um, and then moving over to like the 8840U, it's the it's the same type of theme. We're seeing this like, yeah, um, you know, uh, CPU-Z benchmark improvements. Like, that's not going to mean anything to, to like anyone who's just gaming. Like, literally nothing. Uh, if you're doing some kind of AI research or something like that, yeah, okay, maybe. But then I would probably argue if you're doing some kind of AI research or whatever, your handheld is not where you want to do it. You know, like that's probably meaningless um, or pointless in terms of how much improvement you're getting. One time, 1.5 times, uh, you know, the, the stable diffusion improvements. They're saying, okay, so you can render two images in mm. one and a half seconds versus, you know, one image. Like, who cares? Right. Like, yeah. um, like the thing I think is probably more important with that regard with the refresh would be, you know, like power efficiency improvements. Yeah. And I'm sure we would all agree with that. Um, but the problem there is I would say like, if they're not going to say anything about it, probably there's nothing really to be said because you could bet that they would take every opportunity to market themselves that way. If it was that big of a deal. Right. Yes. Yeah, so the one slide I put in chat, it, it's, it shows they're coming in 2024. It says enhanced performance and efficiency notice how it doesn't say increased performance it just says yeah, enhanced right. performance so that definitely doesn't seem like your your typical you know like jump in cpu performance that seems more like oh it's enhanced with ai or it's enhanced with efficiency due to power savings and then the next one it says re-pipelined front end and wide issue what does that even mean and then the next one is integrated ai machine learning optimizations okay great we we, we knew that from the first sentence, but what the heck is repipelined front end and wide issue? What's the wide issue? Was it when they were exploding in the Asus motherboards when they first came out? <laughs> yeah. No, that, that whole slide, that whole slide just, just screams like corporate, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. AMD and Intel have both been pushing those, you know, back and forth corporate things and it's, it's all fine and good. But then when you get the CPU and they've over promised and under delivered, it just leaves you salty at both of them. And they keep taking their turns on, you know, who gets hated on this week. Is it Intel or is it AMD? You know, everybody was extremely disappointed with 14th gen. You know, that was a big letdown. I, I don't think anybody really had high hopes for it, but they sure over delivered. I mean, they over promised and under delivered. So people were already speculating that the Zen five is, it's going to be no different than Zen four. It's just going to be a, a little bit of a refresh. They don't, they don't probably have um, enough sales figures to justify making an entirely new CPU right now. Anyways, because if you look at all of the CPUs at all these stores, micro center, new egg, Amazon, they're not selling out. The GPUs aren't selling out. Like you mentioned earlier, people are going into financial hardships. 
they're not buying PC hardware like they used to. We're kind of coming into a slowdown. So I think it's kind of smart, to be honest, to to make what we have work and for these manufacturers to, you know, at least maybe keep things moving by just a little refresh. But just don't overpromise us. Like, don't stick a, for lack of better words, don't stick a turd in our pocket and tell us it's gold. You know, at least just say, hey, a little bit of a refresh, nothing to get excited about, no big deal. And I think people would take it a lot better with that little bit of honesty with it. You know, if you're overpromising, doesn't look good optics wise for no no for they, they, they want to give us they want to give us the shiny shiny polished turds or, or yeah or magic beans or whatever oh yeah the magic popping beans yeah no <laughs> i'm i mean I, I agree with i agree with everything you're saying and and i would like joe's in, i would like joe's input on this i'm i'm thinking the the thing that i'm wondering right is like you look at how these slides read and everything and mm-hmm. The sad part about it is I feel like when, especially when they're talking about repipelining, it's like probably at least half of these things could be improved just from the software. Yeah. Or like, you know, um, at the BIOS level with, um, you know, the instruction set. Mm. Right. But because they need to move product. I mean, this is this is what they're going to do. What do you what do you think, Joe? Yeah, I there have been some great points that are brought up. And let me just take a step back, answer the question, and then provide a recap. We have discussed why you may want to upgrade. What you should look for in a device to upgrade is pushing more frames with a higher demanding GPU component. Is that something you should buy versus something that's more energy efficient that's going to make better use of your battery while maintaining a average or normal number of frames close to 60 for example i think that these companies they need to continue making money but honestly software can do a great deal in upgrading the experience of gaming specifically with the upscaling technology whereas we don't necessarily need and want a new device with a more powerful graphics component because likely it's just going to end up demanding more battery and then the devices will need a bigger battery to compensate that where the the 40 to 60 frames and i'll say this is based on preference because i haven't gone out taken a survey from every gamer in america and the world but if i can have a game on my gaming handheld target between 40 and 60 frames even with upscaling, I'd be a happy camper because beyond that, I mean, what can the naked eye see more than that? And I understand there's a big argument there, but let's be reasonable. I personally would rather my battery go a longer way than my frames go beyond 60 a longer way. So it's a dilemma with all of this said with these companies, okay, well, we can just enhance the upscaling experience, but how do we continue to make more money because we may have to or there is the push to make more money by selling a newer device and make people want the next device instead of the old device so it's a predicament that the companies are facing you can't necessarily make money off of software updates unless you make it something proprietary like this update only applies to the 8840u because of its support for the ai unlike uh, or the speed at which the 
AI engine works compared to that of the 7840U, something like that, they would have to say, almost like an Apple move in a way to be able to do that. But I, I think the priorities are going to be different for handheld gaming and what is considered an upgrade versus, to some extent, what it would be on a desktop PC. Ah, you know, I want a more powerful graphics card that, can, that has more CUDA cores and can push higher frames with 2K or 4K gaming as well. So those are my thoughts there. Yeah, good point. Software definitely needs to come a little ways before they start making a lot of that stuff more powerful, for sure. I'm all about efficiency. That's something we definitely need to see in the new handhelds is more battery life. That's that's a huge complaint for me, for sure. And that's something that on my channel, you've seen my Save Battery Best Settings videos where I sit down and I, and I think, okay, what's a reasonable frame rate for this game? Because it's not always 30. It's not always 60. It's... To the naked eye, what is agreeable? What doesn't feel like a sluggish pace? What doesn't create micro stuttering? So I think with gamers, with handheld gaming devices, the expectation can be managed a little bit where you don't sit down and go, yeah, I'm going to be pushing 120 frames with this game on this gaming handheld i think many would agree i would like to think that many yeah. would agree that 60 is good i mean i understand with your competitive games modern or pvp games modern warfare battlefield 2042 whichever yeah having more frames arguably generally speaking it's going to be advantageous to you but again we're on a gaming handheld and i think there are many that would be in the camp of i'd rather play longer than have more frames but with upscaling and also creating processors that are more energy efficient and can take the battery a longer way, I think that's where the true upgrade is going to be. Just my thoughts. So if there is no objection, Gamers Generation, what are we seeing in the comments for this topic? Uh, great question, Joe. Um, I think there's some questions uh, sort of uh, slightly tangentially related. Um, Jed had questions about um, like the 790M or 7900. 790M is not a numbering scheme that AMD had used for integrated graphics before. So um, uh, CPPC, if you'd like to answer that directly. Yeah, I did see his comment on that. I have never seen that as well. And I, I did just quickly google it to make sure it wasn't anything that they had created out of thin air but the 7900m was the closest thing to that so maybe it was uh somebody talking about that and had a typo i don't know yeah that makes that makes more sense to me so that should be a cut down um uh a cut down die of the desktop right uh, rdna3 uh chip yeah and he had a comment about the batteries if they could use ceramic solid state batteries to fit more MAH in a smaller package. That's a great, oh, yeah. actually, that's that a great topic awesome. about the solid state batteries. I've been reading about those for years. I mean, they didn't come out this year or last year. At least that's my understanding. <clears throat> they are, it is a technology that is around that can be used, but it's more expensive than lithium ion. The mm. having electrons in a liquid can compare to something of a solid state. So having a more efficient battery using solid state battery technology instead of lithium ion and companies being able to use that. That would, I would like to see more done with solid state battery. I personally would pay for a device 
that has a better battery than say a better graphics component because the battery is so important on how long I can use it without needing an external power source. I, I think that's a good point because, you know, we're seeing a lot of these handhelds have pretty small batteries. And I know, you know, with laptops, there's a there's a basically uh, a maximum that you normally see is 99 watt hours because of the flight limitations with a with an airplane. But we're not even seeing anywhere close to that yet in these handhelds. And generally, they could fit them in there. We've seen people mod them and, you know, add in laptop batteries to the ROG Ally with, of course, a 3D printed backplate. Um, but, but generally they're leaving a lot of room on the table and it, it begs me to ask the question, why is it, I guess it's either a cost thing or a logistics thing because maybe certain areas might have certain limitations on batteries other than North America. Maybe North America is the most lenient, but there could be some other, you know, airplane manufacturers that don't want you to have a certain amount of battery capacity on there just for the risk of fire and explosions and stuff. But it does make me wonder, why are we not seeing larger batteries in these handhelds? If they are portable devices at the end of the day, why not give us an option? Like you would have an option for an SSD or RAM. Why not give us an option for opting for a 99-watt-hour battery? Of course, it would come at the cost of a bigger backplate, more weight, maybe more heat. Who cares? Fine. I think most people would be willing to pony up an extra 100 bucks. For an increased battery yeah um, I, re- I completely I agree s- on that i remember seeing um back in the day there was some handheld who was actually doing that but i do know uh like the sony psps for example the playstation portables there was a lot of aftermarket companies who started selling bigger aftermarket batteries and they had a little bit of a, a bigger backplate that go that would go with it and uh i i loved those i thought that was a great idea you know if we were able to get to that level where we can replace our own batteries, where we could put bigger backplates with a little bulge on the back. I don't I don't think anybody's going to have a reservation of doing that. I think most people would probably want to do that. What do you guys think? I think I th- I think you guys are low key endorsing an Ionio Kuhn, which makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I was I was thinking of the Kuhn. So, I, when um, you said bigger battery in a handheld, yeah, I just so I immediately went to Kuhn. I, for the audience, for the audience that may not be familiar, there are a couple of devices out there that have more than fifty watt hours of battery. Um, you know, fifty watt hours is I guess for the mainstream considered the uh, the upper limit. I'm saying mainstream as in that's this that's what's in the Steam Deck OLED. Uh, until we get the 53-watt-hour battery that's in the MSI Claw. Uh, But there are a couple of other devices from Chinese manufacturers, like the AOK Zoe A1 had a 65-watt-hour battery, I believe. Mm -hmm. The One X Player 2 has a 67-watt-hour battery, and then the Ionio Kun has the largest battery, as far as I remember, which is a 75-watt-hour battery. um, That's the largest one in a handheld to date. Um, Okay. So, like, why couldn't they? Yeah, they absolutely could. Probably it's a combination of cost, weight, and, you know, uh, maybe transportation uh, constraints and stuff like that. But they, they absolutely could. One of the biggest, um, for those who haven't delved outside of the mainstream handheld space and gone into buying something from the uh, Chinese manufacturers, uh, that is honestly one of the big pulls for them right the larger ram and the larger battery capacity right now even with the likes of msi joining the game that is likely still going to be their 
uh, I guess, advantage. Until which point, you know, uh, like we said last week, some of the other big players come in and they have 32 gigs of RAM. There are, of course, obviously Chinese handhelds which have like 64 gigs of RAM. Those already exist. And we talked previously about the Wax Player X1. They recently released pricing for that thing. And uh, like as an example, as like the upper tier of what you can spend, if you want to, you know, be a big boy, you can get this One X Player X1 with 64 gigs of RAM and four terabytes of storage and the uh, eGPU, which has the Radeon uh, 7600 MXT. And that will set you back a cool $2,050. You know, I do not believe by any means anybody should be spending that kind of money on a handheld same way as like you know a vision pro largely because you know by the time you know the refresh even if the refresh does nothing or little to nothing except for you know give you maybe slightly more battery time like the value of that handheld will have drastically dropped and probably like cut in half so you know you've lost half of your investment worse than a car that hasn't even rolled off the um you know like the show floor, showroom floor yeah it's true Well, gentlemen, we are getting close to the bottom of the hour. Any concluding thoughts on our topics or any concluding comments from our chat? Yeah, I wanted to briefly mention um, something that we talked about last week, which was, um, you know, the RTX super cards. I wanted to mention and address the thumbnail that we're using here because the super cards, if anyone is planning to buy one, you know, just make sure you're checking all the reviews and stuff because um, these things are just, you know, another marketing attempt to get more money. And because we are primarily more handheld focused, we know that even though, even though these things give, you know, a much higher performance tier, I think with how capable our handhelds are becoming these days, you could definitely make the argument that you don't really need these things. Um, and and no, I do have definitely. some specs up here on the screen for those that are interested in comparing and contrasting the 4070 Super and the 4070 Ti Super. And these specs are provided by Gadget Mates as well. Anyways, CPPC yeah. Tech, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say just in comparison, I, I, I do think because I in my audience, there's a lot of people who build and, and want to build and they may have a very old GPU at the moment and they have been holding out to see what would happen with these supers and TI supers. I personally have said before that I think the 4070 TI super is the only one uh, that most mid-range to higher end range builders should really look at if you are holding out for something. I think this is a sweet spot with more VRAM. It has faster uh, memory as well, if I'm not mistaken. And it has quite a few things better um, as far as bandwidth goes. If you're looking for a GPU though, kind of keep an eye on last gen and, and see how far the price drops on those. Because if you are building a mid-range computer, once these come out, a lot of people are going to start selling off their last ones that they had. They may be fine cards, but they just want to jump to the newest, latest, and greatest. So if you were looking for a deal per se, you know, don't stray away from buying used or looking at eBay and things like that. But if you're price shopping for these, don't just buy them from, you know, the first place you see it at. Look around, see who's going to have what variants available. Some of your Asus cards lately, although I love Asus, They've been crazy. They've been really crazy on the price, and they are not worth the money. Um, some of the better ones that are valued are going to be your MSI and your Gigabyte cards. 
people love those or hate them, it's fine. But when it comes to a GPU, if you take care of it, you keep it cool, you know, you don't have GPU sag going on, you're not going to have to worry about the PCB cracking. That's a whole nother story. But, I mean, hey, at the end of the day, it's a refresh. It's a little bit better than the last one. It's not a huge improvement, but this one does have more VRAM. I personally like that, and it's got a little bit higher bus width. I think it went from 192 to 256. And so, some of the specifications, too, for CUDA cores on the 4070 Super, it's 7168. For the 4070 Ti Super, 7680. The memory is going to be the same across both, 16 gigabyte. The memory bus width looks to be 256-bit each. The boost clock is going to be different on the 4070 Super. It is 2630 megahertz. With the 4070 Ti, it is 2670 megahertz. The TDP on the 4070 Super is 220 compared to 250 watt on the 4070 Ti. And the 4070 Ti is 799. The 4070, I'm sorry, the 4070 Ti Super is 799, and the 4070 Super is 599. Yeah, I was um, talking about on the, the VRAM side, just for clarification, in case anyone didn't know, I was talking about comparing the 4070 Ti to the 4070 Ti Super, because I actually have one of the 4070 Ti's, and it's 12 gigs, and these newer ones are 16 gigs, so that's the one where you're going to get a, a better advantage buying that, so... Yeah, I'd like to just uh, piggyback on what CPP said. Uh, if you really do need to buy something, though, uh, I probably, I personally wouldn't go for anything lower than the TI Super. Not yeah. saying I would spend more than that, but I'm, I wouldn't go less than that because of, um, you know, the la the 12 gigs of VRAM or lower. Um, as we mentioned in last week, uh, probably 12 gigs of VRAM is not long for this world. And so that's where I would also agree with what CPP said. You know, you can look back at previous gen, like 30 series. So, I mean, unfortunately, that would only take you to like the 3080 Ti or like a 3090. But the advantage there is that you shouldn't be VRAM starved. Um, if you are making comparisons, though, especially cross-generation, a, a little pro tip for people, you cannot compare things like CUDA cores. Um, those things are only valuable within their generations. And they're, they're generally only used, you know, for marketing purposes. But you can get, um, you know, a relative com uh, uh, comparison of, of performance within that generation. So if you do a side-by-side -side of, like, let's say a 30, uh, 3090 and, uh, you know, a 4070 or whatever it is, you can't compare those CUDA cores. So um, just keep that in mind. Uh, another good point about being able to compare those a lot of people used to compare wattage and they would think oh more wattage it must mean it's a more powerful card that's actually not true anymore we're seeing these cards get a lot more power efficient so if you do see something with lower wattage than last generation so like for example the 3090 um you know there's the 4070 ti and and those use less watts and can give you more bang for your buck at lower wattages so you could be creating a pc that still has the same performance as that 3090 but you're using a lot less watts to get you there so that's less heat that's less power you have to pay so efficiency is something that's been a very interesting topic for me because you know power is expensive here in the u.s i know it's probably just as expensive in canada and other places but if you're pushing a 3090 and you could potentially sell it 
and buy a 4070 Ti for around the same money, it's kind of a no-brainer if your power bills are kind of high or there's a lot of heat in your room. You're going to be producing a little bit less of both of those. So it's also something to keep in mind. If you have a car, if you have a card like an older 3090 or something like a 3080 Ti, those are very spicy hot cards, and maybe you don't need more FPS, but you would like less heat and you would like to save on your power bill. Maybe that's where some of these newer cards could become more beneficial. It's just the efficiency aspect of it. All right, gentlemen. Well, we have had a great show tonight. I think we can go ahead and wrap it up. I'd like to thank both of you for coming on to the show. And I would like to thank our fans in the comments as well. And those that have tuned in to see us. Thank you so much for making the podcast what it is and we are excited in the new year to continue to make these and introduce even new trivia as well moving forward and remember the phone a friend next time guys have somebody ready (laughs) have somebody ready indeed all right everyone everyone have a great night have a good one cheers